Let me invite you now to stand and turn in your Bible to Psalm 111, Psalm 111, and we'll look at the entirety of this psalm and I'll read it to you. And I do want to start off by just going ahead and saying I'm guilty of everything I'm about to preach against. And we certainly, I certainly need to hear these truths, and so that's why I'm I'm preaching them, and Thanksgiving is not just one day a year, but for the Christian, I hope you receive this as an invitation into a new season of giving thanks to God as we look at the pattern of the psalmist here in his giving thanks to the Lord. So Psalm 111, and I'll read verses 1 through 10. Praise the Lord, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. In the company of the upright in the congregation, great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is His work, and His righteousness endures forever. He has caused His wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear Him. He remembers His covenant forever. He has shown His people the power of His works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of His hands are faithful and just. All His precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to His people. He has commanded His covenant forever. Holy and awesome is His name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you for your inspired and errant word. And now we pray for the humility, for the openness to hear what you have to tell us. Would you break through our stubbornness and our hard-heartedness that we may embrace that which is true about us, that which is true about you, and to embrace the glory and goodness of the gospel and of Christ's coming. And we pray this all in his name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so I need your help with this one. Imagine for a moment a kid opens a gift. It could be at Christmas. It could be for his birthday. And the gift giver is observing the behavior of the kid. And the parent is right next to the kid. And the parent will tell the kid something to prompt Thanksgiving. The parent will say to the kid, all right, here's your part, what do you say? All right, let's do it one more. And then the response? All right, let's try it. You try it on me. Thank you. So this is a way, at least when I was raised, this is how Thanksgiving was enforced on us. And Thanksgiving is something that we need to be reminded of. And Psalm 111 is this reminder to enter into this Thanksgiving. Sometimes things are going really well for us and we forget uh, to say thanks. We forget to acknowledge that everything right in our life is because God did it, not because of us. And so sometimes we forget to give thanks. And I want to offer you this, that Psalm 111 is a prompt like that. What do you say? Psalm 111 is that 
what do you say of Scripture that all of us would give thanks to God, would have gratitude and thanksgiving and hearts that overflow to Him? You see, when you think about our current cultural moment and you think about society for a moment, and what do we observe? We observe that there is this uh, common victim mentality. There is complaining that happens. There is, in the midst of the chaos, this sort of spoiled, bratty criticism that comes so naturally to all of us, well, at least to me. What's the answer to that? The antidote for that kind of attitude is a heart that overflows with thanksgiving to God. We need that reminder of what we say to God, and it's here for us in Psalm 111. So, what do we give thanks for? is really the subject of Psalm 111. And the first thing we give thanks for, and you're going to see this in verses 1 through 4, is we give thanks for the works of God. So Psalm 111 begins with, Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. So you can imagine for a moment the idea here is, is that the heart is the intersection of the intellect, the will, and the emotions of a person. The heart represents the whole being of a person. And so the writer of this psalm, and we don't know exactly who wrote it, uh, the scripture doesn't tell us. We see in Psalm 110, that's a psalm of David, but we don't get any hints here. Uh, It would be a good guess to say David wrote it. And we know David talks about in Psalm 86, 11, he, he asks the Lord, he says, give me an undivided heart. And this represents some of our spiritual state, that we have a heart that is sometimes divided, distracted. It's a heart that isn't fully loyal to God. And so perhaps David wrote this. Each stanza of this psalm begins, each line begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's an acrostic psalm like Psalm 119, and so is Psalm 112. So great care, great artistic care went into the writing of this inspired poetry. Giving thanks to the Lord with my whole heart, holding nothing back, but being able to express gratitude to God and thanksgiving to Him. So giving thanks, how? with our whole heart, engaging our emotions, our passion, our desire, our will, our intellect in in this task of giving thanks to beat back the spoiled, bratty criticism that's so common and that victim mentality which Americans have adopted wholeheartedly. We want to beat that back with a heart that gives thanks to God. Where Where do we give thanks? Well, look here at the end of verse 1 in the company of the upright, in the congregation. You see, sometimes having a Western mentality, we've been conditioned to think that the high point of our spirituality is individual, in our devotional life. But instead, here in the psalm, there's an invitation here into the arena, the company of the upright, the congregation, Imagine for a moment, I'm sure, I hope you're watching football these days. Wow, we're seeing some great games, Uh, especially TCU. I just had to fit that in there, my alma mater. And 
Imagine the difference between watching it on TV and being in the stadium. There's a difference there. And the difference there impacts our spirituality. I'm not saying your individual spirituality isn't important. I'm saying the high point, biblically speaking, is this corporate expression. The thanks is so good and so overflowing, it has to be shared. And may this be a congregation where we share giving thanks to the Lord in the company of the upright, in the congregation. And what are we giving thanks to God for? So we've talked about what we're doing, giving thanks wholeheartedly, uh, where we're doing it, in the company of the upright, in the congregation. And what are we giving thanks for? Verse 2, the works of the Lord. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in, it, in them. The works of the Lord are His mighty acts, the things that God has done that are worthy of us recognizing, seeing those things, and giving thanks for them. We can give thanks for the fact that God is a creator God. We can go all the way back to Genesis and celebrate with thanksgiving His work of creation. And then His work of grace is something else that we can celebrate and how He sent a Savior for sinners like us. So great are the works of the Lord. And then we're giving thanks not just for the big things, creation and redemption. We can give thanks to God for the fact that we all arrived here safely. The little things that maybe we take for granted and skip over. These are the works of the Lord. The things He has done by His providence, His wise, all-knowing, sovereign administration and organization of all our lives are worthy to give thanks to Him. So great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. That means we pay attention to them, we review them, we rehearse them over and over again as if we're preparing for a test. They bring great delight to us, great joy. And these works, look at verse 3, they're full of splendor and majesty. And his righteousness endures forever. This is the psalmist's way of saying, to say God's righteousness endures forever is to say his rightness in the fact that he does all things well. God's rightness will last into eternity and he will never be proved to be anything other than right. And this righteousness of his, his holiness and the fact that he does everything well his righteousness will endure forever. And then verse 4, he has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. And we think for a moment, the works of God are so great, they break through our forgetfulness and our spiritual forgetfulness into remembering the greatness of what he has done. I mean, think for a moment, the great things in our world, winning a Super Bowl, winning the World Series. I mean, some of us, we don't even know what team won two years ago or three years ago. We don't even remember it. But the works of God are not like this. They are so wondrous. He causes them to be remembered. And then the psalmist, it's as if he pauses here to put a statement over, a summary statement over everything he's said about the works of the Lord. Look at the end of verse 4. The Lord is gracious and merciful. The Lord is gracious and merciful. These are all 
things that we give thanks to God for. And you think for a moment, you know, we're kind of coming into the end of the year and you might rehearse in your mind things, good things that God has done in 2022, reasons you can give Him thanks. And if you're on, if you're on social media or uh, you might have memories pop up, you know, they have some kind of algorithm and memories pop up, you know, this day, kind of like this day in history, but it's for your life. And maybe a picture of something you uh, took or uh, maybe something you posted pops up through this algorithm. This was a year ago. And, and I know my phone does it. it. It'll say, you know, memories, and, and it'll have photos from a year ago or something like that. Well, well, not all of us take pictures of pleasant things. And they might be really smart with this algorithm, but it doesn't differentiate between, well, I took a picture of my bumper because that guy rear-ended me. Or maybe for you, well, I took a picture of that strange spot on my leg and so I could show the doctor. And, and now you're having that pop up in your memories. And what, what I want to offer you this is the algorithm doesn't know the difference between a so-called particularly good day three years ago and something that hard or challenging might have happened to you a year ago. And something I want to encourage you with, just by application as we look at the, what the psalm says here regarding the works of God, is to really have a generous interpretation for God's work and what He does in your life. And I think the psalmist has this, because we have to remember, there was no tetanus shots back then. There was no antibiotics. There were short... Uh, lifespans. If you got sick, you probably died. And yet, here you and I are, with all these modern conveniences, all these advancements in healthcare, and we're perhaps the least grateful, least thankful, most victim-like generation the world has ever seen. And what has happened is these modern conveniences as none of us had to collect water today or go out hunting for our food, these modern conveniences should really place us in a better position to give thanks for the works of God. But no, we're more spoiled, more entitled than at any time in history. What's happened? Well, I'm not exactly sure what's happened, but I know we need to recapture a heart of thanksgiving. And that's part of the pathway back to spiritual health for us. If you're a Christian, if you place your faith in Christ, then whether something good has happened to you or whether something bad has happened to you, we always, for the Christian, always has a, has a reason. We have a reason to give thanks for God's works because we have received His grace. We have undeservedly received His grace. We've gotten that which we didn't earn and that which we don't deserve. And so that should engender in us thanksgiving, shouldn't it? Even on our hard days. And the next time you get that which you didn't ask for, use it as an opportunity to give thanks to God. Thank you, God, for giving me 
this hard and difficult thing, that I might grow in my trust of you, that I might grow in my dependency on you. This is what we're called to as Christians. And certainly the psalmist, who had fewer modern advantages, comes to the Lord with a heart, a whole heart, overflowing with thanksgiving. And God is calling us back to that, out of our spoiled, bratty, victim sense of self, into the thanksgiving that says, the Lord is gracious and merciful. That we would say, even over the hard things in our life, that the Lord is still gracious and merciful. So we give thanks for God's works. We give thanks for His works, but we also give thanks for His provision. And this is mentioned here in verses 5 through 8 of this song. So what do we give thanks for? We give thanks for God's works and His provisions. Look in verse 5. What does God provide for us? He provides food for those who fear Him. He remembers His covenant forever. So that's two things that God has provided for us, food and His covenant. I'm going to get to His covenant later because it's mentioned again in verse 9, and we're going to talk about that. But first, let's talk about God's provision of food. This is something that's very challenging for us because we live in a world of abundance, right? And that certainly wasn't the case in the ancient world. They thanked God for His provision for them. And we also have opportunity to thank God for all that He has provided to look at, to not feel guilty. There's nothing wrong with living in a world of abundance, but we're still called to recognize that the food that we buy comes from Him, that the provision in our life for these ordinary, everyday things, food, comes from Him. Not only does God provide food for us, look in verse 6, He has shown His people the power of His works. How has He done this? How has God demonstrated His power? He provides, He gives an inheritance to His people, namely the inheritance of the nations. And this is recorded for us in Joshua the conquest, you remember that the ancient nation of Israel was wandering in the desert and God removed the nations ahead of them that were occupying the promised land. He removed them as part of his judgment for their idolatry. And Israel inherited houses that they did not build, crops. They, they reaped a harvest on crops they didn't plant. God gave them an inheritance and the beauty of an inheritance is we don't earn it. It's given to you. And so God here provides an inheritance. And this inheritance is given to them and it's given to us. And our inheritance is part of the gift of our salvation as God has rescued us. So we've seen two provisions so far. Food, inheritance, and the third thing that God provides, that's in verse 7 his precepts. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. So think of precepts as the principles, the rules, regulations, commandments, and the ways of God and how those are communicated to his people. And what we notice here at the end of verse 7 is his precepts are trustworthy. In other words, we can follow God and he will not steer us wrong. 
His precepts are trustworthy. And lest we engage in some hermeneutical hijinks, if you want to call them that, and say, well, the Apostle Paul was a chauvinist, or the Apostle Paul really, he didn't understand uh, what's going on with gender, and, and, you know, the Bible doesn't understand gender dysphoria, even though God says he created them male and female, and marriage meant to be between one man and one woman. The Bible is an ancient book, and we really can't follow it. Or we can't, we can't say these things. Why? His precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever. As confusing as the times get, and as strange as people's morals are, we can set our Christian ethical moral compass to the precepts of God, and they will never fail us, and they are always trustworthy. They are established forever and ever means that each year the church doesn't have to renegotiate what an ethical Christian life looks like. It's already set forth for us here in the Scripture. His precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever. And then look at the end of verse 8, to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. In other words, to be followed with faithfulness and uprightness. You will never go wrong following God. It certainly will lead to suffering. God does not uh, spare us from suffering in this world. Of course, Jesus's wonderful promise, John 16, in this world you will have tribulation. That is a promise, even though people leave it out in, you know, those books. 100 promises of God. I'm going to promise you tribulation. That one usually gets left out. But what does Jesus say? What's the second half of John 16, 33? In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. His precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. You will never go wrong following God. Here's the thing. So we're called to give thanks to, God's, to God for his provision of food, inheritance, precepts. The biggest problem we have sometimes is giving thanks for those ordinary, everyday things. But let me encourage you with this. Some of us have a critical, uh, judgmental spirit, don't we? In, in the land of abundance and plenty, and this is proof positive that we are fallen creatures influenced by a sinful nature. We tend to look at, as human beings, and notice first that which is wrong instead of that which is right. Don't we? We tend to notice everything that is wrong, and we sort of develop this spiritual gift of criticalness and judgmentalness as we point this out. And what I want to encourage you with how to apply this is really to turn your judgment and pointing out how things don't meet your standards. Use those times as times of thanksgiving. Really flip that script. And in the moment, I want to say, well, let me tell you what's wrong with this situation. Instead, use it as a time to offer thanks to God. I'm not saying to give thanks for that which is evil. I'm not saying we can't call evil evil, 
What I'm saying is relax our sense of criticalness and this sort of gift we think we're giving the world where we point out everything that is wrong. And instead of pointing out what's wrong, point out what's right and offer thanks to God. and give. See, I told you at the beginning, I'm guilty of everything I'm preaching against, right? And here we are, we must... Instead of pointing out everything that is wrong, point out what God is doing, point out how He is sovereignly organizing and administrating everything in this world for His glory and for our good. What a wonderful promise we have in Romans 8.28. And I want to encourage you as well to relax. This is a big one. Mm -mm -mm. Relax your standard of excellence. You see, a lot of times we talk a lot about excellence, which is just really my standard of perfectionism. Perfectionism masks around as Christians going around saying, well, we need to do everything uh, for the glory of God with all our might, therefore it has to be perfect. It, 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 well, it doesn't have to be perfect. It needs to be excellent. And I want to offer you this. That's really your standard not necessarily God's. Yes, absolutely, we need to give glory to God in all that we do with all our might, but we live in a fallen world and it will not be perfect. And in addition, I want to offer you this. If you're a perfectionist, I'm a recovering perfectionist. I want to offer you this. You don't have to be perfect because Christ was perfect. Isn't that good news? And so the call for us is to really embrace this imperfect world and resist pointing out everything that is wrong. And in those times where we've treated God like the drive-through speaker and we get to the window and we expect that which we have ordered in prayer and we don't get it, to say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for frustrating my desires which don't give you glory. Thank you for reminding me the world doesn't revolve around me. Thank you for reminding me that I can have these perfect, excellent standards and they will be frustrated because we need a Savior. And only Jesus is perfect. And so use these as times of thanksgiving to thank God for all that he's done in your life. Try it this week. And when people are pointing out what's wrong, because they will, point out what's right. And give God glory and thanks for it. So what we've talked about so far, we've talked about the need to give God thanks with our whole heart. We give him thanks in the company of the upright, in the congregation, right here at church. We overflow with thanksgiving that is shared with others. We thank God for His works. We thank God for His provision. And we thank God for His covenant. That's in verses 9 and 10. Now, a covenant is a promise that God has made, and He relates to His people through these promises. And a covenant is where God keeps up His end of the bargain and our end of the bargain. A covenant is God's promise, and He never breaks one of His promises. And that's something that we give Him thanks for. Look in verse 9. He sent redemption to His people. 
He has commanded his covenant forever. Now, what this means is that he commanded. In other words, he is powerful, sovereign, and wise enough to make his promises kept forever. So he has commanded his covenant forever. And he, God made a covenant with Adam and Eve. He made a covenant he related to uh, Noah and Abraham and David. And then we have the new covenant and we see the fulfillment of the covenant in Christ. And so he has commanded, he is powerful enough to keep all his promises. And so the psalmist pauses here, almost backs up and takes a look at all that he's written, like he did in verse 4. At the end of verse 4, he says, the Lord is gracious and merciful. Now that happens again, verse 9, holy and awesome is your name. That is the right response to a God who keeps all his promises and will never leave us or forsake us. For us to agree and say, holy and awesome is your name. And then we conclude with this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now the fear here is not to be afraid, but it's the reverence and respect that is rightly due to God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom is a quotation from Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. We might be more familiar with Proverbs 1, 7, which says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And the idea is the same, that the beginning point for spiritual growth and understanding who God is, is to give Him the right reverence, the right awe, and to ascribe to Him the power rightly due to his name. That is the fear of the Lord, reverence and respect to God. And that's the beginning point of wisdom. In other words, you're not going to relate to life. Wisdom is knowledge applied to life. And you're not going to relate well in life without this first and foremost beginning principle, the fear of the Lord, the reverence and respect that is due to God. And a follow-up to that in verse 10, all those who practice it have a good understanding. And so we're practicing two things here. We're practicing the precepts that are performed with faithfulness and uprightness, and we're practicing giving God the right reverence and respect that is due His name. His praise endures forever. There is nothing that we can do to stop the praise going to God that is rightly due to him for his greatness and the magnitude of his generosity in providing for us and giving us all things, especially blessing us in Christ. So thanksgiving, I don't want it to just be one day. I want this to be a new season of gratitude for you. As you recognize in your own life the works of God and all that He has provided for you, as you interact with others and they want to point out, let me tell you what's wrong with this world, and you respond with, here's what's right. Yes, but here's what's right in the world right now. Here's what's God, what God is doing. And as you remember His wonderful covenant promises to you, covenant promises. We see the sign and the seal of it here in baptism, looking forward to all that God will do. And so, thanksgiving, not just a day, 
for the Christian, but a new season for the rest of our life that we would wholeheartedly give thanks to the Lord. Let's pray together. God, how we ask indeed that you would cause us to remember all the great and wonderful things you have done in our life. Let us recognize those things in right worship, gratitude, and thanks. May our hearts overflow with joy and gratitude because of all that you have done for us in our life, but especially because of what you have done through our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.